Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. From fish that are able to do mathematics to spiders listening with incredible accuracy. Now creatures across our world are capable of some amazing things. Fish and stingrays are capable of doing complex mathematics. And when we look at creatures like spiders, they're capable of using their webs for amazing things that really go beyond our perception of what senses are capable of. Hearing with incredible accuracy. This week we find about some creatures with some interesting talent. One of the amazing things about mathematics is that it's there and it underpins so much of our world in almost a fundamental way that's often hard to explain. You can intuit many things in mathematics, and while things complex like algebra and, and non-real or imaginary numbers and transcendentals may be harder to intuit and fundamentally realize, a lot of mathematics can really straightforwardly be intuited, and not just by humans, by creatures across the world of all different sizes and shapes. We know that other creatures can perform basic mathematic tasks, and lots of studies have dived into this fact, but in this research published in the journal Scientific Reports, researchers from the University of Bonn have proven that some of the most unusual of creatures as well are capable of some pretty complex mathematics, even though they lack key areas of the brain. Now, in humans, we have certain regions of our brain that we like to call the cerebral cortex or the neocortex. This is the part of the brain that's responsible for cognition tasks. Mostly you can see there's all kinds of mammals, but this region of the brain is what helps us do complex mathematical tasks. They're not just humans, of course, other mammals as well. Now we have this cerebral cortex, that's what makes us so cerebral or intelligent. And this is really good for giving us the brain not only the working memory, but also the ability to perform the kind of complex calculations and intuitions that are required for mathematics. So, in humans and other mammals, we have this region of our brains that help us do these complex and amazing pieces of mathematics, what help us make all the technology that we rely on here today and have so many advances. But, you know, that's humans. Other creatures, what about them? And what if they don't have this cerebral cortex? Well, that's what these researchers from the University of Bonn were diving into. What they were studying, under the direction of Professor Dr. Vera Schussel from the Institute of Zoology at the University of Bonn, what they were investigating was a couple of different types of aquatic creatures. Aquatic creatures that don't have this cerebral cortex. What they were looking at were chichlids and stingrays. Now, what we know about stingrays and chichlids from prior research is that they are capable of doing some what we call quick mathematics. Now, when you put a number of objects in front of a creature, or you, for example, if I laid out a small number of things on the table, maybe a small collection of pens or coins or forks or something that you'd be familiar with and could really grasp quickly, you'd be able to tell without going through and counting how many there are up to a certain level. Then it gets too complex and you actually have to count them. But, you know, if there's a couple on the table, maybe three, maybe five, you could glance at the table with a quick inspection, not having to sit down and do a detailed count and tell me that number. That is an amazing skill, especially when we can do it with small quantities that are shown precisely. And that is really useful in everyday life. So you can see why evolutionarily we would have developed this skill. But humans aren't the only creatures with that skill. 
These stingrays and chitlins, even though they do not have a cerebral cortex, are capable of this basic piece of mathematics, or counting. They can count with just a single glance. Now, this piece of science has been understood for quite some time, but it's what makes these stingrays and chitlins such an interesting area for study, and why Professor Dr. Vera Schlusser and her team dove into investigating these aquatic friends. Because if they can do that quick count, well, maybe they could also do some more complex mathematics. But of course, how do you assess a creature's ability to do maths? That is a tricky one, because we can't obviously rely on language. We have to use some other kind of stimuli and training method. Now, fortunately, researchers have previously developed a mechanism of showing shapes and cards and based, a training-based method, which was being used to teach or assess how well bees can do mathematics, which they can, by the way. Now, the idea here is that you show the fish a collection of geometric shapes, for example, maybe four squares. Now, if those squares were all colored blue, that means the question to be asked is add one to that. So four, and they're blue, so that means add one to four. Now, if they were four squares that were yellow, that would mean subtract one. So what they do as part of this test is they show the creature the original stimulus, I four squares. Then they're shown two new pictures, one with five and one with three. If they swim to the correct picture, so the cast question was four blue squares, well then they would have to fly or swim or whatever to the five card, the five blue. And if they did that enough times, obviously they were rewarded with fruit. So this is kind of the training mechanism where they taught them how this system works. If they had chosen yellow three, well, then they would have got the answer wrong. So over time, you can build an association of these creatures with the fact that blue means the increase of one on the count and yellow means a decrease in one on the count. So we know that these creatures can count small quantities. We've seen that in other studies. And now they were taught how to do this basically addition and subtraction tasks, plus one, minus one, by using this color-coded mechanism. So the fish were then given a new task. They were trained on, let's say, this four plus one or minus one, and then they were given three yellows and or three blues, which would be plus three or minus three. So when the creatures got to see this task for the first time, they significantly chose the correct answer. So if they were shown a blue three, they would have swam to four blue. And that is a pretty amazing thing. Now, what they did to further push these creatures along is that they actually also gave them two numbers. So they initially three blue. Now, the next, that was the question card. And then the next stimulus would be two option pictures, four blue or five blue. And the creatures predominantly swam to the four blue case, which is the correct answer here, because they've been trained on plus minus one, not plus minus two. And so they weren't just picking the largest number they could see, they were doing the actual specific mathematical calculation of plus minus one. This is incredible because that's actually really sophisticated mathematics. They're not just swimming to the biggest thing that they can count or otherwise, they're actually doing the calculation. And they have to keep not only the recognition of the color, the shape, but also all of that in their working memory, compare the new pictures that they have to process to that old picture that they're remembering. And that requires a lot of complex thinking skills in a creature that does not actually have a neocortex, a cerebral cortex. And what's more stunning about this fact is that these fish don't really have any kind of evolutionary need to count. 
in other cases, it's often used by species to count, let's say, the number of stripes on potential prey or, or mates. That's a useful thing for fish to, to be able to count. Um, but there's no actual main driver in the wild, as far as researchers can tell, for why these species of stingrays and chitlers can actually count. Some suggestion is perhaps the navy to count some feature of their sexual partners or amount number of eggs in their clutches. But this hasn't been really proven yet for this particular family of fish. And that's what's so stunning. You can see that these creatures are capable of really complex mathematical ideas and holding them in their head and performing these calculations over time. And yet, they do not have the areas of the brain that we associate with the ability to do these tasks, nor can we see any real evolutionary need for them to do so. Only that the fact that they are capable of doing mathematics. So next time you find yourself struggling with mathematics, remember that stingrays and fish, despite not ever needing it in the wild, seem to also be able to do it just fine. To give you a bit of hope that even if you don't have all of the best features of your brain which you need to process the highest levels of mathematics, even fish and stingrays are still able to do it. And it is an astonishing thing that we are yet to get to the bottom of. This is some great research published in the journal Scientific Reports by lead author Vila Schussel with contributing authors Kröter, Gussmann and Schmidt. So humans can do mathematics and we can also do some pretty other incredible things like listen and listen intently and understand. Now that has a huge evolutionary advantage for us, being able to hear the sounds of predators, the dangers that may be in the environment, as well as hear the sounds that prey may make in order for us to better hunt. Now hearing has clear advantages for humans, but we also use it for a whole bunch of other things. Our ears are particularly sensitive, maybe not as sensitive as dogs or other creatures, but they are able to listen to things like podcasts or music, understand nuance and, and respond to them appropriately. This is amazing for humans. And one of the things that humans use in order to then repeat sound is obviously to record it with microphones. By recording things down in microphones, you can obviously not just listen to this podcast, but also music, the sounds of the world, movies, you name it. All these things can be captured with microphones. So how can we make microphones better, more powerful, more accurate capturing sound? And that's what researchers like Professor Ron Miles from Binghamton University and also Professor Ron Hoy from Cornell have been investigating. Over the last decades, these two have spent a lot of time trying to revolutionize microphone technology, develop new and interesting ways of capturing sound. And they do this not by studying the human ear or the way that humans perceive. No, no, they turn their attention to understanding the way insects and other creatures process sound. Because by doing so, we can learn a lot about the different ways and techniques of capturing sound. The mechanisms used in other creatures' hearing enables us to then maybe build that into the way we design microphones or other recording devices. And this is a really amazing thing to think about. By studying the way a creature can listen and the way that their ears work, we can get a deeper understanding of how to construct some pretty amazing and innovative microphones. Now, researchers like Miles and Roy have been investigating for this long time, but you know, people who come and work in their labs, like Shihan Zhao, who just earned his PhD in Miles' lab, 
as a mechanical engineer by background. And when they came to this research lab and said, oh, I'm going to study the way acoustics and, and dampening works, well, they didn't expect that they would then become experts in spiders. Of course, Johan points it that he was afraid of spiders his entire life, and now his PhD is based around studying the way in which spiders respond to sound, in all in the quest to make a better microphone and further our understanding of acoustic processing. Now, it's well known that spiders respond when something vibrates on their webs. They use these webs as kind of like a signaling mechanism to help them alert them to maybe a fly or an insect being trapped in it so they can come and chow down on their prey. The purpose of the web is twofold, a signaling warning mechanism or an alert mechanism and also a tool for trapping creatures to eat. But what these researchers have shown in these new experiments that can spiders can also turn, crouch, or flatten out in response to sounds in the air, not touching the web. But the web plays a crucial role in giving them the ability to detect those sounds in the first place. What they've shown is that a single strand of spider silk, which is so thin and sensitive, gives it some pretty amazing properties. Due to its size, its thinness basically, it's able to really accurately detect the movement of vibrating air particles that make up a sound wave. Now, this is incredibly different from the way our eardrums work, but is similar-ish to say how a ribbon microphone works, where a small ribbon of metal is moved by the airwaves and thus inducing current to capture the recording noise into an electronic device. So a ribbon microphone uses a small ribbon that is moved, but a spider silk entire spider web, well, that's like a complex array of ribbon microphones, more or less is what these spiders are doing. What happens with these spiders is they use these minuscule movements and vibrations in the air and then into actually the spider's web, which acts as a big amplifier for all those signals in the air, and then they can detect those movements in their legs. They detect these minuscule movements and vibrations through specific sensory organs on their tarsal claws at the tips of their legs. This is the part that's actually holding on to the webs. Now, orb-weeb spiders are known to make really large webs, like you would see in Charlotte's web, Charlotte's web being an orb-weaving spider. And this means that they can have a huge area, around 10,000 times greater than the spider itself. It's like building a massive reflector dish or antenna to gather all of the noise around them in these really precise ways. So the researchers used Binghamton University's Anawak Chamber, these soundproof rooms, and they took some orb-weaving spiders from around the campus. Then they had the spiders whip a web inside a rectangular frame so that they could move it around inside the anaerobic chamber. So the anaerobic chamber provides them with the ability to, to cancel out any background noise and really precisely study the way in which these spiders responded to sound. They gave them a pure three-tone sound three meters away at different levels of intensity to see if the spiders could respond or not. And surprisingly, they found the spiders responded to sound levels as low as 68 decibels at three meters away. That's pretty good. 
For louder sounds, they found even more types of behavior. So obviously, louder spiders had no problems detecting, but even down to 68 dB, which isn't that soft, but at three meters away from an insect is pretty interesting. They then placed the sound source at different angles to see if the spiders behave differently. And they found that not only are the spiders able to localize the sound, they can sound which direction the sound is coming from with 100% accuracy. This means that the amplifying array that the spider web creates not only helps amplify all the noise, but gives them the ability to precisely locate that in space. That is amazing because that's what the spiders are building, a giant detector array. That is what the web is. It's not just a way to catch prey and a net that tells you when it's caught something. No, no. It is an active sensing array that helps boost the spider's own hearing sense. And so then they used a laser vibrometer and measured over a thousand locations on a natural spider web, with a spider sitting in the center under the sound field. And the web moves at some pretty amazing small amounts in response to the frequencies that they pose to in a really wide frequency range. And the web itself is a really efficient transmitter of that sound, almost maximum physical efficiency on a really wide range of frequencies. So that's really nuts to think about, that the web itself is carrying the sound noise, which is really amazing. Does the spider have some kind of ear that organ that we don't know about? And that's really a question that stumped the researchers. So they placed a speaker five centimeters away from the center of the web where the spider normally sits, and then two millimeters away from the web plane, so close to but not touching the web. So what they found is that if they put the sound through the web, that if they just let it through the air, well, given it's an anilka chamber, the sound just died away. It wasn't able to really bounce around or spread, but it traveled through the web amazingly loudly, and it was still around 68 decibels when it reached the spider location. This is a pretty amazing thing to think about. It's not only carrying the signal, but it's carrying the signal with full clarity. And the spiders are able to receive and process this signal that was transmitted along the web. And what the researchers then saw is not only was the web carrying noise to the spiders, but the spiders could react and modify the web in some way, crouching, stretching, pulling their legs this way and that, to tune out different frequencies or focusing on specific frequencies that they were interested in. Which, if you have an amazingly amplified web like this spiders have, well, you actually want to focus on some specific sounds, and that's what they were positioning themselves to do so. This is an amazing thing to think about the way in which a spider is crafting this web, not just to catch prey, but also to boost their own ears. It demonstrates to humans as well the power of a really widespread, thin strand sensing array for capturing sound. Rather than relying on a microphone with a simple call moving backwards and forwards, you could have a whole array of thin strands capturing sound with almost near mechanical perfect mechanical efficiency. That is an amazing thing to think about for a microphone design. I, of course, might find it a little bit intimidating instead of talking into a single microphone, be rather talking into a web of spider silk, but it would probably capture sound way better and transmit it way more accurately. This is some amazing and fascinating research from Binghamton University and Cornell University. The lead author in this paper was Jian Zhao, along with authors Lai, Menda, Strasworm, Miles, Rohoy, and Miles, published in the Proceeding of the National Academy of Sciences. 
on how spiders use their webs to hear incredibly detailed sound and carried along the web to them where they can adjust and tweak it as like an are in charge of their own massive sensing array. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, LaGrange Point. From spiders using their webs to hear with incredible precision and to the way that fish and stingrays are able to do mathematics despite missing some areas of their cerebral cortex. Our ending theme was composed by Audio Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.